Rodgers in trouble. Looking. Ball knocked out. Recovered underneath with no time left by Green Bay. And the Giants come from behind and knock off the Packers 27 to 22. New York is now 4-1 with a stunner in London. So with all due respect to the Eagles, who did edge the Cardinals on Sunday to improve the 5-0, that was the sound just now of the most impressive win by the most surprising team in the most underestimated division in the entire NFL, the NFC East, where three teams, including the Giants and the Cowboys, are now 4-1 or better. And yeah, uh, those commanders are uh, still a lot worse. So today, we bring you another installment of Quarterback Confidential with Alex Smith, a man who was playing in that division as recently as last year, by the way. And he tells us why a good head coach is the most valuable commodity in the NFL. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, October 10th. This is ESPN Daily. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, Alex, before we get into the NFC East and how phenomenally wrong all of America was about that division, I do want to go to Tampa, where I think America is angriest because the Bucs beat the Falcons 21-15, to and Tom Brady, like for the record, he, he already had a career record of 10-0 against Atlanta entering this game, but he wound up getting just a little bit of help from some old friends late in the fourth quarter. Brady retreats. Looky, looky, here comes Brady Jared. You shall not pass. Surely they didn't call slinging him down. This will be a horrendous call. This is going to be a horrendous call. They're going to call Grady Jarrett for slinging down Brady on this sack. Alex, I understand fully that you are our quarterback. You're a QB at heart forever. But what did you think when you saw the referees make that specific call? I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I did know the 10-0 and 0 stat. I had heard it on the broadcast uh, during the game. And then to see Atlanta fight back and make this a game and have a chance to win it. And then the call, the roughing the passer call <laughs> at the end. I I felt really bad for all the Falcon fans out there. I just, I mean, I don't know what else to say. It just is an absolutely terrible call. God, like five, like five years ago is when this happened, I think. You know, the refs come in to every single team and give, present to all the clubs, you know, the, the points of emphasis, right? The new things. And there was, it was a year that the, a, a ton had happened with sacks. Um, really kind of introduced what, what was known as the strike zone on a quarterback, really got to hit him above the knees and, you know, below the shoulders, essentially. Mm. And then they introduced this slamming to the ground 
rule. And in the sense, you remember, we talked about the concussion last week. I told you it's always the ground. The ground is always the worst enemy. Yes. And, and I think yes. obviously the NFL knows that. And so in order to protect quarterbacks, uh, they introduced this rule in the sense that if a defender like pile drives a quarterback into the ground and or slams them into the ground excessively, that that would be deemed a roughing the passer call. Obviously, extremely gray, right? This isn't like hitting a guy in the knees. Right, I mean, the term excessively, it feels like a constitutional question almost. Like, how do you decide what in 2022 counts as excessive? It, it just, we, even when you watch it, it just, I really felt like it was pretty pretty harmless by NFL standards. And in fact, as Grady Jarrett's rolling him over, you know, he's actually underneath Tom. You know, it's not like any of his weight is on top of Tom. I can guarantee Tom, you know, in the last 25 years has been hit a lot worse. And uh, I'm sure someday he'll open up about how ridiculous that call was. Not today, probably, though. <laughs> it, it's hard hard pill to swallow. I think if you're a Falcons fan, it, it really uh, reminded me. You know, I'll never forget that year this all kind of got introduced. I got sacked by Clay Matthews my year in Washington before my leg injury, and, and he flat out pancaked me in the chest. Second down. Smith is dead. Oh, my. And a penalty. It's on Matthews again, and he can't believe it. Personal foul. Roughing the passer. Defense number 52. Matthews feels extremely snake bit right now. He doesn't know what to do and what's right or what's not right. Mike McCarthy's absolutely furious. I'm holding the football. And I don't know how I continued holding on to it. It hit me right in the chest. But in the strike zone, squarely in the strike zone. In the strike zone. I mean, put his shoulder right on my numbers and the ball. We go down, and I'll never forget looking up and seeing a yellow flag and, like, just absolutely amazed. You know, you can't help but get up. <laughs> get up as a quarterback. You're just like, what's the? what are these guys supposed to do? We've already put all these rules in place uh, for the quarterback. And then in like this one, in a critical moment, a third down, huge sack to change momentum of this game and all the passion and energy that you have to play with, you have to play with, and then to get penalized for playing with it. You know, like it just, it just is unfair. Um, the old man, the goat, uh, you know, getting the benefit of the doubt in this situation and you know, 11-0 and 0 at this point against the Falcons. I think he's going to be able to hold this one over them. It's for just a... mean. It, it's <laughs> just mean at this point, Alex. And by the way, speaking of uh, mean, like I like how you describe getting sacked by Clay Matthews and feeling like you, in fact, had been sacked totally legally. The yellow flag flies, and you're not exactly giving that thing back, are you? Like, you're, you're, <laughs> you're not raising your hand post-game and being like, you know what? This should not have been a penalty. You know, as long as it's off the record, Pablo, that might be something I am uh, I, I pony up to. But Oh, yeah. Just between you and me. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> Tom's quote today, his quote today was, I don't, I don't throw the flags, I believe, was his, was his confession without confessing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can all read between the lines there. But I move on to this Cowboys-Rams game, Alex, because there was just a totally legal destruction of a quarterback in that one. And speaking of, like, feeling bad for things, I went from criticizing Matt Stafford in my brain for now throwing two more picks than touchdowns on this season to 
feeling bad for him also because he has been now sacked 21 times in five games. And when you were watching this game, right, you were watching him, Matt Stafford, behind that Rams O-line, just facing Micah Parsons and that Cowboys defense. Describe the terror for me of what that must have been like. I mean, Stafford's going to watch that sack on, on Tom Brady and be like, what the hell? Because he got he got the crap kicked out of him today and didn't get a lot of help from the refs. Absolutely. It reminded me of last week, you know, on the Monday night game, the Rams obviously got beat by the 49ers. And pretty soundly, they, had, they haven't looked like the, obviously, the Super Bowl champs uh, that we saw last season. And I remember reading postgame, I was really perplexed by how uh, Sean McVay kind of mentioned the same thing you just said, how well he thought Matthew Stafford played, given everything, despite what the stats look like. Um, and that he has really been playing at a high level. And you start to look deeper, and obviously, really, you realize what a mess this offensive line is up front. And then today, uh, you know, weakness versus strength. Uh, the Rams' biggest vulnerability, I think, on their entire team, their offensive line right now, incredibly beat up. Yes. Going against the Dallas's strength. They are number one in the NFL in sacks coming into this game, second in the NFL in pressures, and it was a bloodbath. Matthew Stafford had to drop back almost 50 times against this D-line. Mm. And obviously, Micah Parsons sets the tone. Um, I think we've talked about him, obviously, a lot and, and deservedly. But you also forget, oh, yeah, they got this guy named Demarcus Lawrence who's pretty good on the other side. And insult to injury, a little salt in the wound if you're this Rams offensive line, is that it's a home game for you, and in every big third down, you have to go silent cadence because <laughs> SoFi <laughs> Stadium's filled with Dallas fans. It felt like an invasion. It felt like an invasion on every possible level. And so, look, the outcome of this game, by the way, is a comfortable snuffing out of the Rams 22 to 10. But take me inside Matthew Stafford's brain as that internal clock that you talk about all the time, Alex, begins to tick faster and louder as Micah Parsons is like inches now away from him. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think you prepare yourself all week. You know what it's going to be like. You know this is going to be one of those games. It's going to be a bit ugly, right? Your stat line at the end of the day is not going to be pretty. You're going to have to throw a lot of footballs away, right? You're going to have to try and get out of a bunch of different sacks. You're going to have to take some chances here or there. And <laughs> and in the opening series, you sack fumble for a touchdown. You know, Demarcus Lawrence picks it up and scoop and score. Stafford is under center on third and one. And a play fake to Brown. He's rushed and he's sacked. And the ball came out. And Dallas picks it up. It's Lawrence coming left to the five and into the end zone. And it looks like a Dallas touchdown. And immediately, in, in a matter of three plays, your entire weekly plan goes out the window. It's hard. You're, you're, you know, it's funny. You just you start doing things that you've never done before as a quarterback. You just have to, right? Mm, what, you start what, what do you mean by that? Well, anticipation, you know, that's a word that we love to, you know, great quarterbacks play with anticipation. It's something that Matthew Stafford is great at, right? Seeing things as they're happening, right? Anticipating players coming open and throwing balls to players before they're open. And uh, there's a fine line there to guessing, Pablo, <laughs> you know, and when the heat gets turned up, you know, when you just you just sack fumbled your opening series for a touchdown the other way, you, you quickly that goes to guessing and you got to start. You just, you just guess. Right. You got to try and based off what you're seeing pre snap. I think this guy's going to come open because I'm probably going to have to throw this way before I'm ready to. Right. Mm. You know, that you're just you're just kind of playing with fire when you do that. And, and uh 
you do it long enough, usually bad things happen. And that's what this defense has been doing. They just, you know, turnovers. You do hope you can have some semblance of a run game. I mean, that was, it, he just had no help there. And, and once you fall behind, it, it makes matters worse in that regard. And uh, this defense really forced them to become one-dimensional. I imagine when you're doing that silent cadence and you're desperate enough to start guessing, you also begin to wonder, perhaps aloud, like what happened to Andrew Whitworth? And how are we supposed to replace a guy like that, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it quickly reminds you, you know, you, you look at how this team is built offensively, and this goes for obviously every roster in the NFL and where you spend your money and your cap, you know, kind of allotment. And we love to talk about QBs and, and the skill position players and all these shiny toys and receivers and, you know, running backs and splash plays. But uh, it all starts and ends with up front on both sides of the ball. And if you aren't at least functional up there, you just have no chance against a good football team. And, and that was really the, the point today. And I know the Rams are really beat up on the offensive line and a lot of their guys aren't out there, but uh, that's football. For a team that is a defending Super Bowl champs, they have not looked the part at all. I keep thinking like this will be the week they, they kind of find their form again and get back on track. And I'm not sure it's coming anytime soon. All right, Alex, after the break, speaking of hearing the boos from people you thought were on your side, we get to the Chargers and the Browns and yeah, the thin line over there between anticipation and guessing too. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So Alex, this is where I want to talk to you about coaching. I want to start with the more explosive example here. The one we saw in Cleveland where the Chargers beat the Browns 30 to 28 because the quote I want to give you here is from someone who was not even playing in this game. Chargers receiver Keenan Allen, who has been out with an injury, tweeted this out to the entire universe. Quote, WTF are we doing question mark? 
<laughs> right when his coach, Brandon Staley, made an extraordinarily controversial decision because the Chargers, to recap it here, were up two. It was fourth and one around midfield. One minute and 13 seconds left in the game. And he decided to go for it. Fourth and one and a half. Herbert from the shotgun trying to end this game in Cleveland on offense. And that's what this is going to be. Herbert looks right, throws right. It's incomplete. It never had a chance. And I would say Kate York is maybe five yards from being in his range for a game-winning field goal. And then the question becomes, is that an extreme amount of confidence in your offense or is that a complete lack of confidence in your defense? It is one of the stranger calls we have ever seen. I never would have expected that. Now, the pass falls incomplete. The Browns get the ball back. The Browns miss the 54-yarder that would have won the game. Snap. Kick is up. And it is no good. No good. He pushed it right. And Keenan Allen said in response to that on Twitter again, quote, so glad he missed that because man, man, man. End quote. That's three mans for those scoring at home. So how big a deal is this, do you think? A player questioning his head coach's decision this kind of publicly. I don't think it is because Keenan Allen is maybe the most tenured charger on the roster. Mm. You know, I mean, this is his 10th year, all with the chargers. And he's certainly a staple of this offense. He's one of the best players in the league. I do think this, this is a young head coach. Again, this is one of probably the biggest leaders on the team and he's not there. So yeah, he's tweeting, which I'm not sure this is the greatest recipe, live tweeting the game, but we'd all be lying if this didn't go back to last year to some extent, right? Brandon Staley kind of exploded onto the, the radar scene by just uh, huge aggressive calls week in and week out. We've talked about fourth downs. He's gone for like on his own 20 yard line. Yeah. And you think you got a huge win on the road at Cleveland at this point that the game is all but over and he decides to go for it. You know, he's only up two points. So going for it on your own 46, if you don't get it, you all but assure them a chance at the win, right? They're basically almost in field goal territory. The crazy thing is, if you look at a lot of the models out there, they actually say he made the right call. Absolutely. Strong recommendation from the analytics bots yep, that he yep. should have gone for it. And in fact, that was the right call to do it. Yeah, for all the statisticians out there, yep, he made the right call and they're defending him. For me today, I was nothing against Jacoby Brissett because I think he's played really well thus far, but this is an offense in the Cleveland Browns that really only can run the football. They have a backup quarterback that is their starter, right? And to go pin them deep, surely I think uh, would have, barring some kind of fluke, secured the victory. And then the other thing that I'm just reminded in these situations too is what play are you running, right? Like, there's been times as a quarterback when I go into these situations and we're, we're in them as an offense and we're playing a team and I feel like based off our short yardage package, you know, our third and fourth and one all week, because these are situations that you have a distinct plan for, Pablo. On Thursday or Friday, depending on the team, whenever they prep this, you have a whole period of third and one and fourth and one. Got to have it situations for the game. What are we going to call? Typically on the other side of the ball, defenses only really run a couple things. So you can really get a great beat on what they're doing and try and design something to, you know, to counter it. And there's weeks where I'm like, man, we got five plays that we could call and dial up. And I feel amazing about all of them. Mm. And, and, and then there's weeks where it's like, now nah, I, I hate all these. <laughs> and I really hope, I really hope we don't get in one of these situations and, and dial one of these up. Cause I'm not feeling great about it. The play call matters. They had gone for a fourth down earlier in the game, the chargers on a fourth and one, they threw a hitch versus press to Mike Williams. Not exactly a real dynamic play here on fourth and one. 
earlier in the game, and they didn't get it. Fast forward to fourth and two for the game, and now what do they do? They throw a slant to Mike Williams versus press. Mm. I just thought it was so unimaginative, and I think we're seeing that come out in Keenan Allen here. Well, I'm curious, right? Like in your experience, in your career, how would you give feedback to coaches when you did disagree with a call or decision that they made? How do you best handle that as you found it? Yeah, they usually receive it better behind closed doors in a in a you know a more private env- environment. Yeah, I think flat out that you go knock on their door. Most head coaches obviously have a pretty open door policy, and you jump in and you know you ask him like, "What were we thinking there?" Like, I just want to understand. I don't. I didn't totally agree with it. I didn't understand what you were thinking, and I want to know. But yeah, this is certainly the age we live in, right? Where Lombardi didn't have to deal with his players uh, tweeting, you know, his bad decisions. But that's the re- that's the reality we live in. You're a reliable source on this because you are notably not on Twitter. But at the same time, it sounds like you had your own share of disagreements. And I'm curious just how often this sort of a thing happens in general. Like the idea that a player will go to a coach and say, look, this was something that I found baffling or or just awful. No, it happens. Disagreements happen all the time. And great organizations and great coaches, you just never hear about it. Mm. It just it never gets turned into something bigger than what it is. I think good teams make each other better and challenge each other. And I think that goes for coaches as well, great coaching staffs and GMs. And hopefully there's a lot of people in that building looking at the analytics side of this. And really it is you're trusting your coaches with these end-of-game scenarios to do the right thing, to know it, to make the right decision. And so I think obviously we're seeing a little frustration boil over at this point with Keenan. But again, they, they lucked out and got the W. I want to get to the Giants, because this was the first game of the day in London, also arguably the biggest upset of the day. The Giants stunned the Packers and Aaron Rodgers 27 to 22 in England. And after the game, their new head coach, Brian Dable, who came from the Bills, was their offensive coordinator. He was fired up, man. He was hugging people. He was punching the air. He was yelling. Because guess what? His Giants are now 4-1, and one, meaning they have now won as many games as they did a year ago by week five. And so I just want to ask about something that is, I think, very simple and perhaps obvious to you. How important is a head coach? Like, I, I, I want to get this just very clear because it seems like the impact of a head coach might actually be more important than a single player in this specific sport. Yeah, oh, I think you're right. And I think that's what makes football so unique. Nothing against the managers in baseball (laughs) that have to put on a silly uniform or coaches in the NBA, but the head coach and coaches in general in football have the most impact on the actual game, right? The development of the scheme and the game plan all week, like how are we going to win this game? And then down to the play-by-play, the actual calling, calling of the defense, calling of the offense, every single offensive play, right? Like hugely dictates your chance for success. And then to see a young head coach in Brian Dayball, who's been an assistant for over 20 years in the NFL. Mm. He finally gets his opportunity. He's been an assistant for two of the better coaches in the modern era, maybe ever. The best professional coach in Bill Belichick. He was in New England for a long time. Oh, and then he also was an assistant for Nick Saban in Alabama for a long time. Brian Dayball has done such an amazing job with Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones and this offense. Moving Saquon around. We saw him catch... the. Biggest play of the game, lined him up at receiver, ran a little shallow cross with him. There's Barkley in the open field. Oh, what a move! Saquon Barkley down the sideline and out of bounds. 
and it turned into a 40-plus yard game. We saw multiple snaps in the Wildcat. Just moving them around and really being creative to get one of their best playmakers, the football, Daniel Jones. I don't know if you knew this, Pablo. He's third in the NFL in rushing first downs in the NFL coming into this week. Third. <laughs> I did not you know, know who that. he's tied? You know who he's tied with? Who? He's tied with Jonathan Taylor and Miles Sanders, right? Like <laughs> here you have Daniel Jones, second in the NFL for quarterbacks in rushing. The only guy he's behind is Lamar. So mm-hmm. I just love the creativity and letting these guys use their tool set. We saw what he did with Josh Allen up in Buffalo. And I think we're seeing a team here, right, in the Giants that have had a ton of losses over the last few years, a lot of dysfunction again. So here comes this young head this head coach that comes in, and he's got this plan, and the players are buying in. And, and then to kind of see before our very eyes, to see this culture change, I think this was a big step for this team. Here's the thing about culture, though, right, Alex? Because it's one of these sort of abstract concepts that in retrospect, when you have the results, you can point to and say, this is culture. This is why. But it seems like there was an argument if you watch this team and how differently it operates under Brian Dable versus Joe Judge, their last head coach, that he was deliberately doing something quite different in recognition, seemingly, of the culture that had absolutely failed during the previous regime. I think for the core of this team, I think they see a head coach that is doing everything he can to put them in good situations. I mentioned Saquon and Daniel Jones as two great examples of that. Here's these guys that the last couple of years have really been underwhelming, certainly hadn't achieved their expectations, but all we saw Saquon was in the, the, in the eye running very ancient analog run game. <laughs> all we saw Daniel Jones do was drop back and could he be a pocket passer? Like, well, that's, that's not what got Brian Dayball the job, right? We, he got the job because this Buffalo's offense the last three years has been absolutely electric and so now when you're a player and, you know, a coach like this comes in and again, he's going to do every, he's staying up late and putting in a ton of hours so he can scheme up some way to get you in the open field. You can't have one without the other. You can't have a great coach and no players. And certainly you could have the most talented roster in the league. And if you have a bad coaching staff, you don't have a chance. Alex Smith, thank you for always anticipating, never guessing with us. Thanks, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.